Hello. Hello. Hi, Eddie. Hi. Hey. <laughs> so I just want to introduce um, today. I'm talking to Eddie Kang, a Korean artist known for his colorful figurative paintings filled with recurring characters. Based in Seoul, he has had multiple exhibitions, mostly throughout Asia, in Taiwan, Hong Kong, as well as in New York and Venice during the 54th Venice Biennale. Kang has branched out into significant projects this year that also involves large-scale sculpture. So welcome, Eddie. Hello, Jennifer. And hello, everybody. <laughs> so I guess um, I just am curious to, to hear sort of um, your take on, you know, this year. I mean, what was it like to be in Seoul um, sort of, you know, in the spring and then through the summer and that and sort of how that affected your practice, if at all? Um, it's actually, it's, it's been exhausting throughout the most of the year because, you know, um, uh, this whole, whole, you know, pandemic situation seems to get settled sometimes, but actually it's not. And then now we are sort of, you know, leaning toward sort of living with it. So, um, I would say this, you know, seemingly endless, um, quarantine, you know, periods are still, you know, you know, ongoing thing. So, um, anyway, I mean, you know, to look at the bright side of it, um, I could have a lot of, you know, my own time, me time, you know, looking back on what I've done before and then, you know, think about, you know, some stories that I want to build on and then maybe some emotional changes going through this, you know, unusual time that also affected, you know, significantly in my sketches and drawings. So um, now I'm focusing on how to um, in interpret sort of this kind of all the emotions in and then, you know, bring um, it to uh, uh, reinterpreting it, it with my own usual I mean, visual language. So that's what I've been doing pretty much throughout the whole year. You know, what's interesting is I saw your first show in New York at Sandra Gehring Gallery, mm -hmm. and you have these reoccurring uh, characters um, who are very um, endearing, uh, you know, very appealing to the eye, but they're kind of facing an existential crisis. And I think they were called Loveless City. That was the name mm -hmm. of the series. Yeah. And you sort of um, alluded to the fact that you know, um, the city and the isolation and that feeling of, you know, not really connecting, it sort of feels like that's what we're going through a little bit right now. Yes, yes. It's like, you know, because we are always sort of, I think, you know, when I was working on that series of works for Sandra Gehring uh, Gallery back in 2017, I was focusing on, you know, people who live in, like you just briefly mentioned, though they're living in big city, full of, you know, cycles and full of a lot of, you know, life and people, full of surroundings, but also tend to trap themselves into their own, you know, most of the times. And I wanted to somehow depict that kind of atmosphere right. with those, you know, works. But now it's, we're actually, that was me just sort of like, you know, making a story based on that kind of um, character of that city. But now it's becoming you know, reality to all of us. So now actually it's little, you know, the other way around because we are limited. We sort of limited and we're quarantined. We try to stay away from each other intentionally, though we want to. So um, I think about, you know, all the good things and all the positive things that I want to do again. 
our life, you know, get back to not completely as normal as before, but close to normal as before, things that I want to do, that I'm trying to um, sort of put those kind of stories and emotions into my works now. Right. I mean, I guess in a way you're looking for a sense of renewal apart from that feeling of uh, existential crisis. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, just going back into your practice and sort of the origins of your practice, did you always feel that drawing is the way for you to create that sort of branch out into other other media? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, um, I mean, it's art to me. It sort of, you know, came very naturally because, you know, I, my mother, um, she's also a painter. So uh, when I was young, I mean, very young, um, after, you know, school hours, you know, my mother's studio hours sort of became mine as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it was fascinating space mm -hmm. for me because um, full of, you know, many books about masters, full of amazing pictures, though I couldn't really understand the contents because those were all in English. And um, a lot of, you know, a stack of, uh, you know, um, blank papers that I can draw on. And then, you know, I can draw on and on and on until my mother, you know, finished with her lot of works for the day. So there I started sort of, you know, developing my sense of, you know, and my love and sense of, you know, drawing with lines and, you know, linear shapes. There it's all started. That's wonderful. And um, you said that, well, we know that you studied at RISD in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. And, but did you go to high school in the States as well? Yeah, I went to this uh, boarding school in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. It's called Mercersburg Academy. Okay, okay. Yeah. And did you always draw throughout your whole childhood? And then you decided, you know, in high school that this is the, the sort of the focus of, of your, of your I guess, next phase of your life? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, I mean, it's, it has been part of my life, you know, I guess, you know, ever since, you know, I stepped into my mother's studio and then, you know, very early ages when mother used to take me to all those, you know, exhibitions, um, it sort of started there, but, uh, you know, it's, it's high school, it's high school where I actually started focusing on, you know, um, drawings and making other, uh, testing other, you know, mediums like paintings and acrylics, oils, and, you know, even ceramics. So high school was actually the time that I actually took a you know great jump and then chose I decided to um, uh, take art as my career for the rest of my life. Yep. And what was your time at RISD like once you decided this is going to be your focus and you know your your profession as an artist? Um, that small town RISD, I mean the Providence where RISD is, is full of inspirations because you know um, because. Back when I was in high school, I was always the art guy because, you know, it's a small school and then, you know, um, classes are not too many, but, you know, I'm the one who always, you know, uh, you know, my friends always could find me at the studio. So I was the guy for art when I was in high school. But, you know, um, first class at RISD during foundations, I mean, everybody, everybody was so talented. And then, you know, there I sort of like, wow. This, I, might, I might not be good enough to be here and train with these talented guys. So um, full of inspirations and, you know, that sort of driven, always, always driving me, the students, the atmosphere, peers. So um, my four years at RISD was, you know, continuing, you know, continuation of enlightenment of how good my peers were and then 
from there, I was driven to be better. So always, you know, inspirational. So it's very inspirational four years that I spent at RISD. It sounded like you were very motivated and it, it sounded mm-hmm. like probably, you know, you and your classmates pushed each other to, to get better or to sort of realize what your art is about. Because oftentimes I think people feel maybe there's a little bit of analysis paralysis or, mm-hmm. you know, um, and plus you're going through all the normal things that a college student would go through. So I can imagine sort of the double pressures of, of you figuring out what what is your art about what is your practice about and also um just dealing with everything else um so what did you do after college at college um you know um korean guys korean males of my age they have to do the uh, military service which is mandatory here so um i did uh, my army duty and then uh, after that i started my career as a full-time artist so you started um your base in seoul from the get-go then Mm -hmm. from the get-go and um, I was sort of reading through the press um, about your work, and um, your first show was in Taiwan. And my first solo show was in Taiwan. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned uh, to the journalist that, you know, that was your first show. That was just the uh, beginning of everything, I guess. Um, I was introduced to, uh, you know, after after Army, I just I just set up my studio, my own studio. And then I was, you know, starting to make my own paintings and then, you know, make my own things. And then one evening I got a call from a fellow artist, a very respected artist. Her name is Su Gyeong, Yi Su Gyeong. She makes translated potteries, porcelains, very well known. She called me and then asking me, um, Eddie, there's a um, curator from Taiwan and then she's visiting Korea and looking for young artists. And then I want you to meet her tomorrow morning at the hotel that she was staying. So you're gonna go and have a breakfast with her and then bring anything like portfolio, representable portfolio and meet her and talk to her. So I did it. And then I met this um, uh, very well-known uh, you know, Taiwanese curator. Her name was Victoria Lu. I met her there and then we had a breakfast and then she went through my portfolios and then she was you know so i want to i want to visit your studio right now eddie oh yeah okay it's not far so we went we went directly to the studio at that you know at that very on that very breakfast table and then you know she chose some works and then eddie i want you to bring these to shanghai and then taiwan but those two are museum shows so museum group show and then let's talk about solo show after those. So that's how I everything got started for me. That's an amazing story. I don't think I've ever heard this before and I've known you for years. It sounds like, you know, like a rocket ship that you're about to board. I guess I'm curious to see, you know, what is the network like in Asia? Because I think a lot of people are curious, you know, if you're a young artist, you're starting out. I think there are a lot of opportunities to show works in Asia because I think there is a more interconnectedness than people realize. And I think Mm -hmm. your story perfectly illustrates that. And how were you able to use your first show, then segue into other other cities, other countries, and just sort of building on that? Like I said, before my solo show, um, Victoria Liu, the the curator that I mentioned, she was also uh, preparing uh, two group shows at the Museum Shanghai and Taiwan before my solo show. There we have, it's a big group show full of, you know, artists from like, all, you know, different Asian countries, Murakami, Mr., um, even, you know, Kusama, everybody, the big names were all involved in it. So um, uh, automatically the show got a lot of attention. And there 
I met some, you know, some of the, you know, curators and, you know, gallery owners and dealers from other Asian countries. Actually, when I decided to have my um, first solo show at Taiwan, uh, not long after that, I got a contact from my Japanese uh, gallery dealer back then, you know, and then he also saw my works from that, you know, group show. So she contacted, he contacted me and then I ended up having a show with him too. Mm. What's interesting is I think people respond to your work very sort of innately or automatically because they're so appealing. You know, they're uh, brightly palleted works with uh, very adorable, appealing characters. But then sometimes the text or or something within the, the, the painting or the image undercuts that. So mm-hmm. how do you arrive at that tension? Because it, it, it exists, whether you see like a phrase next to the very appealing character so you makes it makes you sort of wonder again what's going on here or you do it visually by maybe juxtaposing different colors or maybe aggressive lines mm-hmm. um i mean you know i get always you know easily my my style of the work so far i've been doing so far can be easily labeled as shallow and then too um i would say uh too commercial too cute and then also like you mentioned some people uh, told me about, you know, the it could be misled by some audiences that your works, the story that you try to um, talk, tell to the, you know, the story that I try to talk to the audiences through my works can be too lightly taken because of the, the you know, the shapes. But um, I've heard that and then I'm still dealing with it at times. But, you know, I think because this is part of me, this is part of me. And then, you know, these all the characters are actually um, altered egos of my emotions. And then, you know, that I get from everyday daily lives or, you know, certain events. So I do not want to sort of like force myself to cut those, you know, elements out from my works. But, you know, I get as I get older and as I get more experienced, um, I sort of, you know, think about maybe. I could do sort of like more, I could talk more. I could talk about more using um, less, you know, less, you know, imageries or less, you know, characters or less lines. So I'm in a stage where I'm trying to training myself, those kind of, you know, tactics and, you know, sort of those methods for my works. So nowadays I'm focusing a lot on those silhouettes paintings i'm not sure if you've seen them I, from my I, yeah you know, i saw yeah. you had a recent show um at zip paradise yes yes and you've introduced new imagery like that yeti character yeti character with um not too many uh, details but just the shadows like the silhouettes or upside down series that i also showed at the uh, zip exhibition only lines and then only one color two colors like you know black background and white lines only or you know pink background white lines only or just you know using two different tones i'm focusing on that and then try to um see how people react to those kind of series because you know it's it definitely has less images from comparing to my other work well i just want to see how people read those you know visual language that i just starting to create and then so far people they are feeling what I'm feeling, the emotions that I felt when I was creating those. And slowly people are actually paying attention to those, you know, messages that I sort of like embedded mm. under those, you know, simplified images. So 
That is so cool to hear. I'm just curious when you're uh, sort of the way you approach the painting or the image becomes uh, in a way more reductive or pared down, does it bring another set of challenges that you haven't encountered before? Definitely, because, you know, I become more, I feel like I feel more responsible about opening up my stories. And then I feel more responsible about sort of reinterpreting my emotions into my visual language. So I tend to, I mean, I used to sketch, like small makes a lot of sketches before I actually move on to the bigger canvases. But nowadays I tend to write a lot, like the stories, actual, actual writings. And then I, you know, spend a lot more time on um, something, what I want to, what I want to express in that paintings, in, you know, paragraphs or sentences, I write a lot. And then I read them through. I always, you know, correct them or I keep them. So I feel more, I guess, responsible about, you know, my messages. That's fascinating to hear that the way that your act of writing and creating a narrative and then this sort of this distillation into this uh, pared down imagery almost has mm -hmm. a, a latent emotional potency that somehow people mm -hmm. could sense. That's that's mm -hmm. actually a very um, interesting take on your recent work. I guess I'm also curious about this other direction that you've taken on this year, which is, um, I haven't seen before, which is large-scale sculpture. And mm -hmm. how did that project come about? First of all, I think I was very fortunate to uh, have this opportunity to um, sort of like make large-scale public sculpture. I mean, some of the, you know, real, real estate big companies, they have been sort of interested in my, you know, works, paintings, mostly. And then they approached me to, why don't you, we are, they were, you know, they wanted me to be part of this big project they were doing. In the beginning, because of the size, they were, you know, telling me a little, you know, overscale that I thought it would be. And then, so I was literally intimidated, to be honest. But, uh, you know, during the process, I learned more. And then I learned how to deal with, you know, uh, upscaling small mockups more. So I think, you know, I'm slowly getting used to it. But it's very fascinating to see how people react, you know, the pedestrians, and you know, the people who live around that, you know, sculpture can react to them. And then, you know, people, they send me like random DMs worrying about my works. Oh, this is nice, but I'm so concerned about, you know, you know, children's vandalizing it and, you know, graffiti, making graffiti on it, you know, because, you know, they always were so concerned and then they want people to make more like barriers around it. But I think, you know, it's a beauty of it is actually, I want this um, sculpture, as long as they don't get badly vandalized, I want people to live with it. And then, you know, people can take photo, lean on it and then, you know, enjoy it as like part of their like daily um, circumstances. It's fascinating how whenever your work becomes part of a public space, how people feel very proprietary towards it, as if it's it's something that they have to either care for or react mm -hmm. against. And the fact that mm -hmm. it's in their space, you know, they feel mm -hmm. obligated to tell you, like, this is what's happening yep. and, you know, and yep. I'm reporting, you know, this to you, you know, what it, your inspirations, because when you look at your work, Eddie Kang's work is really influenced by, um, and you could tie it in with other other kinds of art that's happening in the contemporary art world. But I'm curious yeah. to see what is your sort of artistic influence or references that you use as touchstones. It might it might be hard to believe when I say it, but uh, you know, 
one artist that influenced me the most is actually Sai Tombly. Sai Tombly book, I still remember opening up Sai Tombly book um, in my mom's studio when I was like seven or eight. And then those lines, those, you know, um, minimal lines, you know, uh, creating like bigger space, his own space, like universe, fascinated me. So um, still, I get fascinated by Sai Tombly. And then his like lines and, you know, his pores and, you know, his walls, his notes. I still learn so much. I still, every time I look at his stuff, I, you know, as if I'm, you know, look, I, as, as if I'm like learning about artists for the first time, still fascinates me. That's a brilliant observation. Um, I'm also doing a deep dive into Twombly's work right now mm -hmm. for another project. And um, it is utterly fascinating because um, you would think as a major artist of the 20th century, there's a lot written on him, written about his mm -hmm. work, which is fine. And mm -hmm. it is definitely but there's nothing that replaces seeing it for the first time. And I learned that when he paints, oftentimes he avoided brushes. And in fact, he just painted with a wax crayon or pencil and then mm -hmm. used his fingertips to sort of directly push on the canvas, which is so interesting because you do get that sense of immediacy and that sense of mm -hmm. artist touch. Um, but, but I love the, the, the emphasis you put on his line because I feel like mm -hmm. when he draws, and when he creates these drawings, they feel as if they're coming directly onto, you know, from him to, there's a direct transmission of emotion. Mm -hmm. or, I mean, is that something that you're responding to um, innately? Yeah, I mean, emotional. Yeah, of course, his lines are emotional. And then, you know, some of his colors, like he uses, he doesn't use colors too much, but, you know, it can actually, uh, you know, I can feel like he was his emotional, you know, conflicts or, you know, how good his mood was you know actually i can feel it from his lines because you know thickness or thinness because of you know colors and then the messages very emotional that's why i love about you know Saitombly because i can read it into it directly i'm just curious have you had a chance to see his sculptures as well and how you think they are different from his paintings because i feel like they're connected but yet he approaches a uh, sculpture as if he's been a sculpture you know sculptor first do you know what i mean mm -hmm. he approaches each uh art making form as an independent kind of thing instead of saying well I'm a painter but then I'm just going to sort of do my way of, of sculpture but he doesn't do completely di completely different like style um, I mean that also because you know I still remember the time that I visited uh, the Mineo collection in Houston um, there's a Sai Tombly gallery you know um, there are some, you know, Sai Tombly sculptures, not the big ones, but the small ones. And then it looks completely different from, you know, what I can, what I can get from his paintings, right? So I agree with you. And then Paul McCarthy also, sort of, you know, he's, every time he makes, you know, it's a little bit different from his past, you know, series. So his a lot of diversity, right? His versatile. Um, I just, I'm, though I'm just starting to making, you know, public sculptures, but my eventual goal is actually, like you mentioned about Tombly, want to um, sort of like differentiate my sculptures and then my painting completely. I'm, you know, I'm just, it's in the beginning, I have to do what I've been doing, but, you know, eventually I, that, that's the notion that I want to also take for myself differentiate my painting and sculptures completely. Interesting. Um, what is your sort of, 
your outlook for the rest of this year and next year? Because it sounds like you, you've sort of, you're pivoting and deepening your practice in a way that you probably didn't anticipate. Um, yeah, because, you know, like, I, like we already talked about this time, it's actually sort of like allows us somehow to dive into, dive deep into ourselves and then our lives, especially when it comes to training. Yes, definitely. It, um, it's a little awkward to say it, but it helps actually exhibition wise i'm you know done for the year like solo size shows um but i there's actually the group show that i'm co-curating is happening in uh this month actually october so um i'm you know working now working the little details for the exhibition we all all the artists has been chosen and then all the works has been chosen as well and then you know space is uh space has been set so um is this in seoul it's gonna be in seoul yes because, you know, now because of the time, the artists, you know, their exhibition has been like postponed or canceled. So I think it was a good time for me to um, curate a small like group show so that, you know, some of the artists, they can have, you know, opportunity to showcase their works. Um, it's going to be consists of seven artists, including myself. Um, all from RISD. That's amazing. A different age. And where is this? Yeah. Where is this going to be shown? I'm going to have it with Ghana Art, you know. Wonderful. Mm. Do you feel that right now in New York and when the galleries and the museums shut down, it was very sort of uncertain when they'll reopen because, you know, because the, the quarantine just kept being, you know, reinforced over and over. And then mm -hmm. finally, over the summer, uh, when the museums and galleries opened, I think there was this pent up energy and this real thirst to see beautiful works of art or, or art to make you think and to make you kind of forget about your your everyday life and uh, mm -hmm. in a way people really hungered to see art yeah but the, i mean you know as we all know that's the power of art and that's the power of galleries and power of museums i mean people they always you know eager to see something beautiful inside of their heart they always you know long for you know finding their inner beauty and then to do so art is you know one of the better ways to do it right so um i no wonder they were waiting for it and korea pretty much the same all the galleries and uh, museums they canceled or postponed the shows indefinitely so um less and less opportunity for audiences and then artists as well to showcase or view beautiful works so um i thought it was a good time yeah. because you know it's it's getting a little better little better and then people are actually getting more used to current situation so we know the drill about the safety so um I think it's good. I think it was a good time. Do you feel that the role of the artist has become even more urgent in a way? And what I mean by that is, do you think because I, I, in my opinion, I feel that artists play a very important role in kind of expressing things that other people can't. So the way you express yourself, you become these sort of voices of certain things that other you know, societies can't articulate. Yeah. And then more and more, I think. More and more, you know, I, you know, aware, I'm aware and getting to, you know, aware of that. So, like I said, it's, I'm becoming more responsible. I feel like I'm, you know, I should be more responsible in, you know, sh uh, showing my narratives, you know, sharing my narratives to the audiences because I don't want to talk about dystopia. I mean, even though I don't want to talk about like ut utopia, but, you know, I also want to talk about, you know, positive place, about bright future you know, bright stories or some lesson makes you 
or a smile at the end of the day when you, after you look at it. Um, that's why I'm, you know, getting more interest in these public arts too. Public arts, um, there's no walls, no white cubes, but people can, you know, come and see it and then, you know, openly, freely, anytime they want to, right? And then can get like positive vibe. Uh, if, if they can get positive vibe from viewing it, what else, you know, there, there's nothing else like it, right? So um, I'm, that's why I want to do more public works with the positive, big or small, it's okay. Just, you know, some small, happy or, you know, positive things, you know, that people can actually uh, enjoy daily. So, I mean, I want to do it more and more. Your, the way you, ex you express that reminds me of a quote that Matisse said, is saying, you know, when he said, I want my art to feel like as if you're just, you know, sort of relaxing into an armchair. And mm -hmm. people gave him a lot of criticism for that because they said, oh, you know, art shouldn't be so easy and sort of relaxing and calm. And, and this was in direct opposition to maybe, you know, his arch rival Picasso and all that. But uh -huh. people have misconstrued that expression because he wants, I think, his art to feel as if um, it's a little bit effortless right? Not, mm -hmm. not, not mm -hmm. so hard and rigid. And also mm -hmm. um, how things have to be a little bit more flowing and understanding. And I think that's yes. what he was trying to convey rather than easy and superficial. That's not that was not the point of his comment. Yes. Is there any show that you were hoping to look at, but you, can, you can't see now? Or was there any because I was thinking of, you know, what exhibition I mean, I was looking forward to going to Art Basel Hong Kong in the spring. That's always a really interesting, fun experience. Mm -hmm. Bronx Museum having uh, Jose Paula right now. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see the whole thing. But you know, and I love going to New York, right? I try to, I, I used to visit New York every once a year. And then I was hoping to do it. And then I was hoping to see the whole show myself, but I can't do it right now. But um, they, they just reopened the, you know, Jose Paula show again. I'm hoping, but, you know, it's, I think it's unlikely now. Going through the Instagram pages, <laughs> just, you know, being jealous about it. Yep. I, I love his energy. I mean, I think um, we're all kind of making uh, travel wish lists, right? And seeing mm -hmm. what we can do and, and making do with, uh, you know, the images we see online and trying to mm -hmm. do a deep dive and trying to uh, plan for the future. I guess that's all you can do at this point. But I think what's interesting for me is how many people reached out and are trying to connect virtually, like you and I or, you know, other um, colleagues or, or, or whatnot. I feel like there's much more real life or real time communication than before because everyone was so used to jetting off to one city and meeting up there. And mm -hmm. there's this, uh, mm -hmm. uh, because that's not happening anymore. There, there's a real effort, I feel like, in people trying to get in touch with each other. Yes. And then Zoom, you know, is making everything easier, right? Because, you know, it, <laughs> it's, uh, we're, we're finding, we're always finding ways to um, actually deal with the situations. And then I'm sure everything's going to be okay eventually. I'm sure, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. we'll find a way to get out of it until then, you know, Zoom is helping us a lot now. Well, this is a great way to end um, this conversation. And I really mm -hmm. have to thank you, Eddie. This has been really interesting. I learned a lot about your practice and um, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. It was, it's been an honor. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you.